0: Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg, host, producer, and general fixer of stories here at Confabulation, Montreal's premier all-true storytelling series. And uh, I'm really excited to bring a story from just this past October. October was Confabulation Presents Back from the Dead, uh, an evening that took that theme surprisingly literally, uh, which is, I think, what drew me to this story, which very specifically did not interpret the theme literally. Uh, This was surprisingly one of the few theme stories that that were not actually about people almost dying. And I felt so stressed out all night. I was so happy um, when Steph Robert, Montreal-based choreographer, dancer, and fantastic human being decided... uh, Not to take the theme quite so literally and share this story from her youth. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephanie Robert.
1: So when I was three years old, I was diagnosed with retinoblastoma, which is a tumor on the retina of the eye. So basically, I was completely clueless as to what was going on. Um, And I was just getting spoiled and a lot of gifts and a lot of love, a lot of love from family and friends. Um, So I loved it. It was great. I loved having cancer. Uh, But... (laughs) So the eye was removed and everything was great and and life kind of went on. And then I realized that I had this tool that I could use. Um, so I would take my eye out and put it in the Caesar salad and just hope during the family dinner that my grandmother would take the first bite or, or I would put it in my father's coffee and, and just wait for the moment when he would take that last drink and have me looking right at him. (laughs) And I just loved playing tricks and I loved using it to my advantage and I loved to just kind of be like, you know what, I have a glass eye and I think that's cool. And then my dad found diamonds. Which is strange because he's a prospector. He was a prospector and still is a prospector and he would leave for weeks at a time and then come back and then leave again and then come back and then he just never left. Um, So we found diamonds and this meant that it was the most successful day of his career of course but also that it was a nightmare for me. It was a complete nightmare because this meant that we were moving on the other side of town into a bigger home and that I had to change schools which doesn't seem like a very terrifying thing, but when you have a glass eye and you think it's a normal thing to just take it out randomly and throw it around and play with it or throw it at people, and then you change schools and you realize you're, you're going to be learning and spending your days with people that don't know your story and, and, and aren't used to it. I was always surrounded by friends and family who were pretty much born and raised with me, so to be surrounded by people who weren't used to that was really a terrifying thing. For the two first weeks of school, I wore sunglasses. I got away with making them believe that I had sensitive eyes to fluorescent lights, and they bought it, so I wore sunglasses, until one day, of course, my sunglasses went missing. I spent the whole morning tearing my room apart trying to find them, and I couldn't find them, so I was just like, all right, suck it up. Just go to school. So by this point, I was at this new school. It had been two weeks, and. I was lucky enough to just walk in to gym class, the most action-packed moment of the day. So I was able to just sneak in back of the dodgeball action almost unnoticed, almost. Uh, In dodgeball, I was told to focus on three things, to eliminate the opposing team by throwing the ball at them, by catching the ball that is thrown at me so that I'm not eliminated, or by tricking them, by getting them to move outside of their court boundaries. So when I walk into the gym, there's two red balls being thrown back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, between about 24 Ritalin popping children. And I was like, great, they're not gonna notice me. The focus is on the ball. The focus is on the ball. So turns out that hiding behind people and avoiding eye contact, because I obviously didn't want them to notice the eye or the fact that I wasn't wearing my sunglasses. It turns out those two strategies got me really far in the game. There were two players on each team left, and I was one of them. I was still a part of the game whether I liked it or not, so I was like, all right, Stephanie, wake up. You're in the game. The three goals of the game, eliminate, catch, trick, eliminate, catch, trick, smack. One of the bright red balls hits me on the back left side of the head and bounces up into the air, causing my glass eye to catapult out of my face. (laughs) And at this point, I make a sound that I don't even know is humanly possible, and I'm just like, what do I do? Without even skipping a beat, I Superman forward onto my stomach with my eyes closed, because I don't know if you know anyone else with a glass eye, but catching anything is impossible. (laughs) So with my eyes closed, I'm Superman forward, and I'm just like, please just catch the eye. But I didn't catch what I was hoping to catch. I actually caught the ball that it bounced off my head and I caught the red ball. So I was still in the game. I was not eliminated. I was still in the game, whether I liked it or not.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm on my stomach, I have the ball, and everyone's like, Step, get up! So I get up back onto my feet and I just throw the ball as hard as I could. I'm not even aiming at anybody. And I duck back down onto my hands and knees, and I'm really hoping to find my eye. The thing? is that nobody knows that I have a glass eye. Not even my teacher knew, and I did not want this to be the way that they were gonna find out. And as I ducked down after throwing the ball, not even aiming at anybody, I obliviously dodged the ball at the perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I, I don't like dodgeball this game. So I'm down here, I finally find the eye and I puzzle it back into place, and yes puzzle because there's a certain way you got to put it in, if not it'll just fall right back out. So I puzzle it back into place and I get back up and I'm looking around and I'm evaluating my situation and I'm like, wait, where are the balls? And I'm constantly dodging every ball, getting those two other players out, and I was crowned queen of dodgeball for the rest of the week at my school, yeah? right. And still, nobody knew about my glass eye. (laughs) Nobody knew. That's it. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Welcome back to Confabulation, the podcast. Uh, With me now in studio, and by studio, I mean the room behind Montreal Improv, I'm uh, here with Stephanie Robert.
1: Hello. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me.
0: Our our pleasure. By our, I mean mine. I'm going to (laughs) shut that over. That's weird. We've got here in studio right now the woman you just heard from, Steph Robert. Hey, Steph. How's it going?
1: Going pretty good. Thanks.
0: Good. Good. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about storytelling because you are, what's the word that we use for that? Someone who does many different art forms and many different things. Yeah. I think someone used the term multipotentate once and I found that that a weird word.
1: It's weird, but it works.
0: Charming. Okay. (laughs) Okay. What do I'm assuming, though, you consider dance and choreography to be your primary uh, medium. Would that be fair?
1: Yeah, I think more and more... I guess when I went to Concordia, it was, like, where choreography was just creation overall, where it kind of allowed me to... become and be a musician a storyteller and a mover where i think i'm more of a performer Hmm. so it's it's kind of uh, stretched out a little bit where probably five years ago i would have said i was a dancer Hmm. and now i think i'm more of a performer which is kind of an interesting transition
0: well it makes sense um to me actually because i was just thinking on my walk over here uh, about two years ago was the first time you did confabulation or is it th-
1: maybe two or three two years? Or three? I, yeah,
0: because I, I specifically remember the night that you did our Nuit Blanche event, and you told a two-minute story about yourself, and then ran over to Mainline to do a longer dance piece, um, which was also autobiographical. Mm-hmm. I find that, and, and now you're working on a one-woman show that is completely autobiographical.
1: Yeah, what, and I think that was the first. That was the first time I started kind of taking my art form and, and aiming it towards myself hmm. and kind of searching, um, like, self-discovery and all mm-hmm. of these questions that I had. And and um, it's kind of been an ongoing process, and now I, I'm actually putting all of that research together. And research, I mean, I guess it's, like, it's our life, right? So we've yeah. been working on it our whole lives. <laughs> but just putting it together and, and, and kind of making something of it.
0: Is it... Is it challenging to tell these pieces in a different form? I mean, dance is a very personal form, for sure. And um, though I didn't see the piece, I I heard that it was a very intimate and personal piece. Mm -hmm. To now be telling it verbally, um, is that harder to do? Is that somehow closer, uh, more personal?
1: Yeah, I think it is, because as a, you know, quote-unquote dancer, we're always... Um, just moving and, and kind of never uh, taking the mic or, or taking, you know, a step forward to really mm. talk about what it is we're doing. Um, we do write essays and whatever to explain our work, but it's it's more of this physical embodiment of of emotions or of of memories or or whatever it is, is that's behind your work. But to actually talk about it is really different because in movement, I think everybody could kind of find a different way to and. To, to have their own connection or, or their different ways of, of um, everyone has their own interpretation of what it is you're doing. So I could just lift my arm and it could be like, oh, I remember once in, you know, in math class when I had an answer and it was wrong. And, you know, just movement associated to memory. But when I when you put direct words onto, um, or when you're storytelling, it's it's kind of more of a, drawing a picture and it's very clear and, and you're talking about people and places and, and the way you felt in those situations, so it's there's there's less room, there's more clarity, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that feels good mm-hmm. to kind of go to that place having worked from such an abstract, um, very disconnected place where it's still like connected in the body but not um, telling word for word, I guess, yeah There's there's a big difference
0: is there anything that you miss making that transition, something that you can get through movement and choreography that doesn't necessarily come across verbally?
1: Mm, yeah. I think that we, before even learning to speak, you know, we, we learn to move. And it's just kind of, whether it's associated to survival and and, and you know, having to go to the washroom or, or grab something to eat because you're hungry. It's just there's like all of this pedestrian movement that just comes naturally and that we repeat and that we do without even thinking or the, the way the, the blood flows through our body and now I'm getting very,
0: very <laughs> far.
1: I think that I think that there's movement is just everywhere and everybody is a dancer, right? Hmm. Because I don't think you have to train to be somebody who can move because we all move to get hmm. from one place to another. I mean, unless you're paralyzed but (laughs) (laughs) but I think you still move your blood is still flowing
0: one second sorry so what has gone into preparing uh, your one woman show
1: uh I guess I didn't really, think that was a challenge. Yeah, it's it's really strange because people are like, oh, what made you? You know, what made you want to do a one woman? show? That's a better
0: question. What made and you want to do this as a one woman show?
1: I think that the two questions are very similar, though.
0: They're really difficult. <laughs> it's
1: um, I know we always say this thing where, where um, any art form shouldn't be therapeutic, hmm. right? Or the this need to share, or to even think that your your stories are interesting and that people will want to listen to them. It sounds like a very selfish thing, hmm. um, but I think for a long time, whether it was in my work or in my relationships, or you know, my situation with my 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 relatives and my relationships within my family as well, I was kind of always. Um, Adapting and, and accommodating and just trying to, to make other people happy mm-hmm. um, so I just like focusing on something that feels good for me and if it ends up being good, great and, and I think that it's just this this need to, to share mm. um, also to do something that's very personal and connected to myself Hmm. instead of always being on the outside and, and, and reaching out to help other people. And I I say help other people. It's not because I'm like mother Teresa (laughs) and helping everybody and like at the corner of the street and, hmm. you know, waiting for the old person to cross the street with them. Like, it's not that it's just, it's, uh, it's also convenient to just spend a day alone and be able to reminisce and write and, and find gaps between your, your stories because there's, there's sections that you just don't even remember. Mm. And it's like, how do you connect those sections? And how do you keep the story real but kind of sew everything together? And there's just all these questions that I've been asking myself. And something that's been really useful is kind of subtly calling like, my mother or my sister and asking them, Questions like, oh, hmm. do you remember when this happened? And, you know, how did I react? Or do you remember? Um, or why did you do this? Or just like simple questions to engage in conversation that will bring up things that had happened or things that we never spoke hmm. about. Because a lot of um, this whole story started with just like the first time I, I told a confabulation story at Edge of the City in, in this space. Hmm. Um, it was the first time I was like in Montreal doing storytelling and talking about my eye because usually it was like not really something that I did. That was like that first step of, of telling, you know, these funny gags about how I, you know, would hide my eye in places to play tricks on people. Or if a bully would really upset me, I would just take my eye out and like throw it at them. (laughs) them And, and, um, of just like all these really funny things or how my eye would just uncontrollably fall out at the it, like the worst time possible all the time <laughs> it's just like all these stories where they were really funny and so it started from that of me wanting to uh, approach it in a way where I didn't care mm. and that it made people laugh and it made me laugh so it was more of a just trying to make this like handicap mm. of mine um, something very positive it's like a comic relief, right? So through those really funny, happy stories, um, came the really horrible ones, mm. and just uh, and it wasn't so much about the eye anymore. It was just about my actions and reactions, and and how I was just getting through life. And the eye kind of followed me through that, right? Which is and continues to because it's a part of me. So it's uh, so yeah. Now it's more about digging and and finding the less surface. Mm. Uh, normal, kind of easy, easy things about, about having grown up with a glass eye and, and a messed up family.
0: <laughs> yeah. That just pushes two questions um, immediately. I'll go with the harder one first. And yeah. If this is too personal, you have to let me know, but your family's relationship to the show,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do they feel about the fact that the show is happening? How do you feel about the fact that yeah. they might see it?
1: Yeah, it's... Um, I think at first, and and I kind of made the Facebook event really early, like probably two months ago. I RSVP'd
0: like a year ago, I think. I don't think I knew you when I said I was coming, anyway.
1: But uh, I kind of created the event because I knew that this way people from out of town will be able to come. and Hmm. And my parents don't really see a lot of the work I do and still have this notion of, you know, contemporary dance being like, so you think you could dance in this very right. commercial kind of thing. And it's really a scary thing to have people come see your work when they think you're doing something else. Right. Um, and I'm trying to just, it's, it's a struggle to kind of keep it real and, and, and really try to not adapt knowing that, you know, your mother will be sitting and, and, and watching you do this. So it, it, It's kind of the same process that happened when I started talking about this whole, you know, life of mine with the glass eye, where it starts really surfacy, just like on the surface and... and, about the funny stuff and it falling out and me taking it out and, and all of that. And and them thinking that that's what it's going to be out about, all about, you know, hmm. my adventures with my glass eye. Right. Know, kind of a, an innocent point of view of uh, a young girl with a glass eye. And that's what they, I think that's what the event says too, right? Hmm. And that's kind of what people think they're coming to see. But I don't think they know... Or I'm trying to slowly tell them <laughs> that it's really, it's really a lot more than that. It's really about my, um, my life within my family mm. and how that has has changed and and affected me and whether it traumatized me or helped me. It's just like all of these different point of views that mm. um, are finally. It's finally a time for me to share my point of view of all of that.
0: As someone who isn't 100% comfortable talking about the eccentricities <laughs> of his own family, I, I have a lot of respect for that, that mm-hmm. you are doing this, that you are putting it out there and uh, exploring your own feelings. It's a very hard thing to do. I think it's really interesting that you're reading, oh, I've forgotten how to say her last name, a book by Alison Bechdel. Who wrote Bech- Fun Home?
1: Beshtel, yeah. Beshtel,
0: who, that is her medium. Is it, that is her subject yeah. matter as well, exploring this life with her family. And uh-huh. uh, it's a very brave thing to do. It's a challenging thing to do. Because certainly if you write a book, they're going to see it. And <laughs> certainly if you're performing, how far is Timmons?
1: Um, from here, probably about 11 hours. Oh, it's
0: further than I thought. I thought you were closer. Okay. Well, 11 hours. They might not all come, but some of them some of them will be here. And
1: yeah, and, and they're so excited. That's great. Right? So I just, like, <laughs> d- hope they're not dis- disappointed. <laughs> and I could just imagine the feeling of sitting in a room and having someone on stage talk about you hmm. and being surrounded by strangers, so I'm kind of putting myself in... in in their situation, but there's, you know, and it's not this sad, poor me story. And, and I, and it's important that it's not that because that's not really the life I had. Hmm. And I think there was so much good that came out of all of this bad, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, when I, I've been talking, as I said before, I've been talking about it with, with my mother and asking her, you know, well, do you remember, you know, example you'll have to come see the show to understand this but do you remember the time you kidnapped me at camp or
0: you definitely need to see the show to understand? <laughs> that's a great or,
1: or do, you, uh, do you remember i don't know did do you remember me having to call the police this one time or just like these questions where you can tell that she's just you know wow we we never talk about that. We've never talked about that, and we've never brought it up. Why are you bringing it up now? Mm-hmm. So I think I'm just asking these little subtle questions so that it's not this fresh, really, like, shocking mm-hmm. subject when when it happens during the show yeah. or when it's mentioned during the show. And, and sometimes it's very subtle, you know, where only she'll understand the reference. Hmm. And, it, and I think it's important for there to be room for people to kind of Fill in those gaps as well, and not give all the information because that's kind of what storytelling and and just memories overall—that's what it's all about—is this different interpretations and and gaps of things yeah. that you don't remember. And I'm just like looking at uh, picture albums and, mm-hmm. and I'm realizing how associated. Uh, how closely associated my memories are to pictures that I have, but whatever I don't have pictures of, it's like it never happened and it didn't exist depending on what age it was. So anything really early in my life, it's like based off of what people have told me or just pictures that I've seen. And so it's Mm. like, how, how real are these memories, you know, and how real are these are the after effects of, of what it is Mm. that, that, I felt or that I, you know, so it's, it's so much more than just mm. me, uh, being, uh, you know, somebody who had cancer and, and had a, has a glass eye. It's so much more than that. Mm. It's more my, my relationships within all of that and uh, deciding to hold on to certain relationships. And, and why do we hold on to those mm. relationships when they're really painful and difficult?
0: Do you think... Uh- Do you want or think this performance is going to improve Mm -hmm. your relationship with your family?
1: I, and I feel like it's so like, you know, this, I wrote a one-woman show and it changed my life, but it, I feel so much more confident, um, about the way I feel about all of these situations, Hmm. about uh, my relationship with my mother, where I'm understanding it a lot more, or my relationship with my sister, where it was very difficult still to this day um, because I was very sheltered and and kind of uh, protected Hmm. during my whole childhood, Um, and mostly because I was was sick, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, just that extra attention that I got and the less energy that was put into her and less attention uh, put into her life or that's the way she felt and I think still feels is, is really difficult. And she, you know, most recently is, has moved back in with my mom and I think she's looking for that
0: hmm.
1: kind of exchange and, and rebuilding a, a strong relationship with her,
0: hmm.
1: which, is, which is wonderful, but not necessarily something that I would do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You like living in Montreal, that's fine I love Montreal (laughs) You can keep it at that, it doesn't have to One last question Mm -hmm. i like to talk to my storytellers about truth Because everybody asks me about truth and storytelling Mm -hmm. It is a a goal of confabulation to tell true stories But I think that the notion of truth when it comes to our memories Is kind of a funny one When I ask you to tell a true story What does true mean to you?
1: yeah so it always comes back to this whole thought of like how we connect our memories together to make it into a story because there's all these flashes or or people saying you know I remember it so clearly but i feel like we still connect those those these segments to kind of make it into one story mm. um but i think what's true is 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 really the intention um behind it mm-hmm. is is just the way that you you know it made you feel and the way it makes you feel now and how, and being open to to it possibly changing. So I think within truth there's there's a lot of change.
0: I like which that is, answer. I like it's really
1: one. crazy because I would have never ever thought that, and I've been very stubborn about a lot of things. Um, just the way i I deal with relationships and and the way I um, you know have a certain image or or a certain way i think of somebody and sticking to that and and but realizing that that could change depending on y- your intention behind that person mm. i don't know it's it's really still so many questions to to answer with, within that but yeah
0: no i totally know what you mean the notion that tr- uh, that truth and our true mm-hmm. memories are always shifting is is actually really appealing to me at first when i started this show it bothered mm-hmm. me that i couldn't nail down what a true story was but that kind of flexibility, I like that. Mm. Thank you so much, Steph. I really really having, having in. me. Well, my pleasure. <laughs> uh, you can check out Steph Robert in Me, Myself, and I at Mainline Theatre. That's 3997 Saint Laurent. The show runs from?
1: January 22nd till the 25th, I believe. I might be wrong, but there is an event, and it's been created for a very long time.
0: Years now on Facebook. It's, it's
1: just there, so go see it.
0: Confabulation the Podcast is produced by Paula Flalo and hosted by Matt Goldberg. For more on Confabulation, you can check out ConfabulationMontreal.com or check us out on Facebook, the preferred social platform for everyone whose name is not Paula Flalo. Confabulation the Podcast is distributed by No More Radio, available every week at No More Radio.com. Support for No More Radio comes from Montreal Improv. You can check them out at MontrealImprov.com.